0: Today on CityCast Chicago, when the city started demolishing public housing, it wasn't just buildings. They were also demolishing history. And for 15 years, former residents and advocates have been trying to recover that history by creating the National Public Housing Museum. Now, after a long wait, leaders recently broke ground and the museum is slated to open next year at one of the former Jane Addams homes in Little Italy. We sit down and talk with a former CHA resident and the head of the National Public Housing Museum about what to expect. It's Monday, November 14th. I'm Jacoby Cochran, and this is CityCast Chicago. Crystal Farmer is a former public housing resident and a leader on the museum's board. Lisa Lee is executive director of the museum. Crystal, Lisa, welcome to CityCast Chicago.
1: Thank you. Thank Thanks you for inviting us. Yeah, I'm so happy to be here.
0: Now I'm excited to have y'all. Crystal, can you tell me about growing up in the Henry Horner Homes?
1: Yes, I come from Henry Horner Homes. Uh, we moved there in 1968. I was nine years old. It was a great place. It was green. It was clean. People took care of the property. Uh, we had janitors that lived in the building that made sure, you know, the hallways were clean. We got out every morning and sweeped the ramps so that kids can go outside and play. Uh, we were a family. I mean, on the seventh floor in 2051 where I lived, everybody that lived on the same side, we were able to go into each other's house. We broke bread. We played games. We did everything with each other. And right today, many of those people, we still do things together because we're a family. That's my experience with public housing growing up. It was a great place to live.
0: When you were a kid, you, you talk about that that family network, right? Right on that the Near West Side. So much of public housing, I think, is is stereotyped. People kind of look back on it and paint it with one broad brush. As a kid, did you have a sense of how public housing was viewed by by the city, by the nation at large?
1: No, as a kid, I didn't understand any of that. Probably even until I became an adult did I understand any of that. As a kid, you're a kid. You don't know what's going on around. You know that you live in a nice place. We came from a building on the west side that they deemed uh, uninhabitable. And then my whole family, my aunts and uncles and grandmother, we were all scattered into different public housing developments. So you don't know. I just know me and my sister had a room to ourselves, my brother had a room. To self, mother had a room. We had a kitchen and big living room. So, you know, that's all I knew. I didn't know anything else being a
0: kid. Well, Crystal, how did you get involved with the museum?
1: I was actually a member of the local advisory board. I was actually the uh, president of Henry Horner Homes. And uh, Mr. Vera Beverly had this great idea about us uh, having somewhere that our families can go to and read about our lives, about our history. DeVera Beverly is the person that came up with the idea, her and a few residents. She was actually the local advisory council president for uh, the residents that lived at Abilene.
0: Crystal, why is it so important that residents, former residents, shape what the museum is ultimately about?
1: Because a lot of it is about our lives and the impact that it had on our lives. Uh, I think you said something uh, in the beginning that people had these misconceptions of public housing. And there is a story to tell. I just told you part of my story. I didn't tell you all of it, but part of my story, it was exciting for me. I love it. I I mean, one would say I'm a public housing resident to the bone, even (laughs) though I no longer live in public housing, but it has such an impact on my life that I want, just as Miss Beverly and other uh, tenants wanted uh, our stories to be told, just as just like the historical museums, the Holocaust Museum, the Mexican Museum. It tells the story of people's lives. So that's why it's so important for me to tell our stories.
0: Yeah. What, what are some of those stories and narratives about public housing, about your community that people continue to get wrong to this day?
1: That people don't want to do anything, you know. They always said that people have babies; they don't want to go to work, you know. And that's just not true. That that is not true. Um, People do work in public housing. People are just like any other person. That it's like you, me, Lisa. There's no difference between us. But you know, those myths put us in these silos, like we're aliens or something. You know, we have. tails and and ears sticking on us that that makes us not human but we are human just like everybody else
0: lisa even though you all just broke ground on a permanent space you know you said that the museum has existed as a museum in the streets can you explain that for listeners
2: yeah well we always knew that we wanted to harness the power of place and memory and be in this last remaining building of the Jane Adams home on the near west side of Chicago. But we also knew that in order for us to raise the money that was necessary to really establish ourselves as a civic and cultural anchor, we need to actually change the mainstream narrative about public housing history. And so we've been actually having exhibitions and doing public programming for the last 10 years and really challenging the mainstream narrative about public housing, so that we can include voices like Crystal's and many other. Because, you know, when you say the word public housing, it often conjures up this kind of single story. Mm -hmm. And it's a story of crumbling buildings, racialized poverty, gangs, and lack of public safety. But that one mainstream story doesn't allow for any other voices, and it doesn't allow us to distinguish between the stories of resilience and resistance and the sort of failed social policies that are a result of capitalism exactly. and ravages it, it yeah. doesn't
0: hold people accountable um raising money was was such a big part of this process how much money are we talking and and in addition why has it taken 15 years
1: yeah
2: i mean so it is in total a 16 and a half million dollar campaign For us, it was a really long haul for multiple reasons. One, because we had to actually change the narrative. We would hear comments like, why would you want to open up a museum to a shrine for unwed mothers? Like, for example, in the early years, right? I know, I know. Um, And, you know, people (laughs) and the sort of history of public housing was so unknown. And honestly, there was a lot of pressure because we were building this museum In a time where cities, including Chicago, were engaged in a process of dismantling public housing.
0: When you talk about this criticism, you know, like, where is this coming from? Is this just coming from like, you know, you know, opponents of public housing? Are these also potential donors and and just, you know, your kind of average Chicagoans who, who were disconnected from public housing in a sense?
2: Oh, writ large, there's just so much racism about who lives in public housing and people who are living on public assistance. Right. So that's one thing but there's other industries for example that were invested in the dismantling of public housing like i can name for example the real estate industry which is really invested in mortgages for single family homes for certain people for example like if we want this to be a common good a public good for all people we're going to have to really face some hard truths about who's invested in it not being a public good you know crystal has always been sort of a huge voice in reminding us too that we have to tell the so-called good, the bad, and the ugly and of public yeah, uh, housing. Miss Francine, that is correct. <laughs> another board member, Miss Francine Washington, who reps Stateway, she always says we have to tell the story of our in-laws and our outlaws. So I want to make sure you understand that we are committed to the historical record and telling the truth, which is going to include stories of incredible joy, resistance, Um, you know, sort of networks and families and friends. Miss Gwendolyn Brooks, who funded poetry programs at Cabrini Green, but also a lot of hard truths about public housing Uh um, that we also have to tell about organized, you know, sort of drug um, sort of use and other forms of businesses. But we want to tell the full truth and understand, like, why were communities, for example, driven to those forms of informal economy?
0: Uh, Lisa, I know you've listened to the show uh, yeah. and I've made it very clear that I love a good museum, right? I love <laughs> to pop up to the front door, you, you know, grab my little brochure at the front and, and take my my leisurely stroll. So you know I'm at the uh, I'm at the front of the museum. Can you walk me through what it would be like to be a visitor moving through the space and, and what makes it unique?
2: Walking up to the entranceway, there's this incredibly beautiful new commission by the artist Amanda Williams and Ola Lakin-Jafus. And that uh, sort of artwork is drawn from the paint chips and the color, literally and metaphorically and metaphysically, of public housing. She took those um, paint chips that we found in the building and created this beautiful entrance. There's this beautiful gallery of vernacular, everyday objects. And I'm really, really proud of this project. A couple of years ago, we had an exhibit where we asked public housing residents, if you could give any object to a museum to tell your history, what would it be? And not only did they sort of donate a series of amazing objects, but they also worked in writing workshops to actually tell those stories in labels themselves. And then the heartbeat of the museum is three um, restored apartments from three different generations of public housing residents that will really startle and, you know, challenge people's notions of who lived in public housing. The first apartment is the restored apartment of Inez Turovitz Medor, and it tells the story of a Jewish family that lived in public housing and has a restored kosher kitchen. The second apartment is going to be a beautiful art installation, which really delves deep into the stories of redlining. And the third apartment is a lovingly restored apartment of Reverend Marshall Hatch, um, who grew up in the uh, Jane Adams mm-hmm. Holmes. It's going to tell the story of Martin Luther King and Coretta Scott King in Chicago working for open
0: housing. I feel like I got me a, a VR set on yeah. my head and I'm mm-hmm. just like zoned okay, out yeah. listening.
2: <laughs> There's a music room that is curated by Spinderella. Um, she was the oh, we're going to need to score something. this thing. Just <laughs> I <like>. know. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. She grew up <laughs> in the pink <laughs> houses. Mm. And she actually created a Spotify playlist for us already that we played at our groundbreaking which is of all the musicians who grew up in public housing. From like the Neville brothers wow. and Elvis to Barbara Streisand to Earth, Wind & Fire, from Henry Horner, Dieta Ross from Detroit. We heard over and over again in their oral histories that living in such close proximity with diverse people it really opened up their musical aesthetic landscape and what they understood to be good, beautiful, true, just music. I mean, this museum is going to be really popping. Like, it's just going to be unlike. <laughs> an, I mean, it's like any civic institution.
0: Lisa, thank you so much for that that visual. Just walking me through all of the different components. Um, Crystal, you work with Cha now, right? Yep. Uh, What's the museum's connection to the Chicago Housing Authority? Because let's be real, there's a fraught relationship with their CHA's role in the dismantling of public housing. What's that relationship with CHA look like?
1: No comment. (laughs) No <laughs> <Your> comment. <laughs> you I'm can't, here to talk about the museum. You can't wave to me about... off, Crystal. Come yes, on. see. But, but sorry. But
0: CHA does play a role in this process, yeah. even from yeah. a, a, a former resident. Well, I want to yeah. at least ask this to Crystal. Because okay, you, cool. you grew up in public housing, so your connection yes. to CHA from, from living in public housing to now working, I, I'll at least ask this. Do you feel that since your time as a child, there, there has been an improvement in CHA's relationship with former public housing residents.
1: Yes, I I do believe that because I work here and I'm the community engagement person. So I'm out in the community talking to residents
0: all the time. So I do think that there is a better relationship. You know, Lisa, what will that connection between CHA and the museum look like? And how will it serve to, you know, to make sure that people are still held accountable in their role is, is told in the story in a, in a very full and, and, and I think complicated way?
2: One, the museum is a separate entity from CHA, even though CHA very generously donated the building to this museum along with HUD. That being said, there also is a really important civic dialogue that needs to be had about not just holding CHA accountable, but the federal government accountable and one another and each other accountable. And so it's about a critique of racial capitalism, of privatization writ large, of different industries and holding banks, for example, um, whether it's Chase or PNC, both funders of the museum, but who have also had to come out and talk about their complicity in the history of redlining and giving mortgages primarily to white families and what they are going to be doing in the future to redress this problem, right?
0: My last question to you both. Chicago has a beautiful landscape of museums. Why is the history of public housing, both nationally and locally, so important to the history of Chicago?
1: Because it happened.
0: Mm. <laughs> it yeah. happened.
1: It happened. It's not something that's in a movie, you know, a fictional movie. This actually happened, and the story should be told about, you know, the lives of people that live in public housing. And also, is housing a right for people. It should be told. My childhood did happen. My adult life did happen. So uh, it's important to tell those stories.
2: Yeah, and I would say too, like, I mean, Chicago, right? Midwest, Midwest, like we are the city where public housing had the most ambitious dreams and also the place where there were probably the most dreams deferred. Like we are really talking about the history of public housing in order for us to address current social justice issues and to create a more collective future for all of us. And, you know, this is a place which is gonna transform what it means to be a museum.
0: Crystal Palmer and Lisa Lee are two of the leaders helping to bring the National Public Housing Museum to a reality. Thank y'all so much for joining us on CityCast Chicago today.
2: Thank you, Jacoby.
0: Thank you, (laughs) Jacoby. Before I let you go, a little bit of news, y'all. After months of delays, Cook County property tax bills are expected to post online between tomorrow and Wednesday. They'll be mailed out by December 1st and are due by December 30th. If you hit an extra bit of Monday traffic today, it might be because First Lady Dr. Jill Biden is in town talking about the growth of apprenticeship and trade programs in the Chicagoland area. For more news, including a breakdown of a city council resolution to address homelessness, head over to our daily newsletter, Hey Chicago, at chicago.citycast.fm. And some good news to get you through. Nominations are now open for the Reader's Best of Chicago 2022. Let's see if we can repeat last year's performance. Check the link in the show notes and nominate CityCast Chicago for Best Podcast and Hey Chicago for Best Newsletter under the City Life category. And we're trying to run it back to back. As always, we appreciate you for listening. I'm going to be out for the next few days, but I'll be back on Friday to recap the news with you. I'm going to talk to you then. Peace. Have some good news. Mm-mm.